Hey, come Mary Doll, Dairy Doll, my darling. Light goes the weather wind and the feathered starling, down along under hill, shining in the sunlight, waiting on the doorstep for the cold starlight. There my pretty lady is, river woman's daughter, slender as the willow wand, clearer than the water. Old Tom Bombadil, water lilies bringing, comes hopping home again, can you hear him singing? Hey, come, Mary Doll, Dairy Doll, and Mary O, Goldberry, Goldberry, Mary Yellow Berry O. Poor old willow man, you tuck your roots away. Tom's in a hurry now, evening will follow day. Tom's going home again, water lilies bringing. Hey, come, Dairy Doll, can you hear me singing? Frodo and Sam stood as if enchanted. The wind puffed out. The leaves hung silently again on stiff branches. There was another burst of song, and then suddenly, hopping and dancing along the path, there appeared above the reeds an old battered hat with a tall crown and a long blue feather stuck in the band. With another hop and a bound, there came into view a man, or so it seemed. At any rate, he was too large and heavy for a hobbit, if not quite tall enough for one of the big people, though he made noise enough for one, stumping along with great yellow boots on his thick legs and charging through grass and rushes like a cow going down to drink. He had a blue coat and a long brown beard. His eyes were blue and bright, and his face was red as a ripe apple, but creased into a hundred wrinkles of laughter. In his hands, he carried on a large leaf as on a tray a small pile of white water lilies. The Way Lesser Inklings podcast will pay homage to the great thinkers, writers, and philosophers of the early 20th century known as the Inklings by mining great works of literature to examine the good, the true, and the beautiful in order that both us as host and the listener would be enriched and able to see the beauty of God's creation through the written word. Welcome back to the Way Lesser Inklings podcast. We are on episode six, which is chapter five of the series titled The Old Forest. I am Jake Rice, and with me again is Josh. You say hi. Oh, yeah. Hey, everybody. <laughs> You'll hear me talk plenty in this one. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's, he's raring to go. Uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring us in um, and do our narrative overview, which is always... always start these episodes and, uh, and introduce us to the old forest. Um, and this is a chapter that, uh, Josh and I both really enjoyed, um, as we, as we were rereading and, and see something that's really powerfully at work here. And so, um, I think we're, we're really chomping at the bit to explore this one. So, um, yeah, if you got anything to add right out of the gate, um, go for it. Yeah. I I think I would just say that this is, this kind of chapter is really a huge reason that we like this project and wanted to do like start with Lord of the Rings, obviously, but to do this project, because I have personally heard a lot of people, you know, that read Lord of the Rings that they almost, this is like the Leviticus of the Lord of the Rings. And I think it's a pretty good thing. You know, everybody knows that when you do like a read the Bible in a year, like you get to the last sections of Exodus and into Leviticus Leviticus, and people start having a hard time. I think the old forest is a chapter that's a lot like that. I think people don't understand why it's there. They start to think it's boring. And I would say that much like Leviticus, (laughs) I, I think that there are really important themes and really big stuff going on. And so it's kind of exciting to be able to, share that hopefully you know inspire conversations and you know maybe one of these days if we do some kind of a mailbag thing you know i'm i'm working on maybe doing a facebook group or something to get some people to send us some questions because i've got some ideas boiling but yeah let's let's get into the narrative which is is pretty simple so yeah. <laughs> so i'll kick yeah. it back and we'll get into what it means yeah 
so narrative uh, approach here is we're we're with our four hobbits um, as they're uh, getting out of Crick Hollow and and making their way to the old forest. So they they make their way across um, across Crick Hollow down the hedge uh, and and come in a door that Mary has a key to. Um, and so as they enter the old forest, essentially they are just walking through the old forest <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, until they meet uh, one of two extra characters that we get in this chapter, which is Old Man Willow. Old Man Willow um, seduces them into a sleep, uh, along mm-hmm. with the rest of the forest, I believe, and mm-hmm. then uh, and then traps Mary. Pippin and Frodo. Uh, Sam rescues Frodo from the trap of Old Man Willow, and then we get our uh, even more eccentric character, Tom Bombadil, who <laughs> makes a brief appearance here and and rescues Merry and Pippin, uh, and then and then he leads them on the way to his home, which is which is where we'll be next time. Um, but I think mm-hmm. I mean that's really you know the narrative of what's happening here. Yeah, you can see why people think it's, you know, they'll they'll say boring or whatever, because basically what's happening is like as they're walking, the forest keeps like shifting around. So Mm -hmm. and it it puts obstacles in their way to lead them like on a path that the forest itself wants them to go on. And so it's just a lot of walking. Right. It's like it's like, oh, no, there's a you know, there's a holler in front of us. We're going to have to go around and it and, and they end up you know, where the forest wanted him to be really probably from the design of old man Willow, you know, the whole time who seems to be the ringleader of the trees and that sort of thing. So yeah, if you're, I think if you're not, if you're not reading carefully, which I could be guilty of in the past with this chapter, like I've definitely had those thoughts like, man, this one's kind of slow, you know, Mm -hmm. but I think, I think if you, you, when you start to read carefully, you start to see that, Tolkien is really up to stuff. And I think that we've, we've mentioned it before on the pod, I think is that, you know, some writers, some writers make a lot of symbolism pretty easy. Tolkien, Tolkien rarely does that. He is usually working with a lot of kind of like way underneath the surface stuff. Characters don't just outright say what the theme is. He does it a lot of times with environment. And I think there's maybe no greater example of that happening than, than in this chapter where it's really subtle yeah, I think it's. I think it's. Once you see it, it's. It's almost like a neon sign, but I think it is really subtle, and it and it can hide itself. He uses he uses a lot of tricks, you know, to kind of get you carried away with it. Yeah, yeah, and I I, I felt like this chapter um, highlights things that were most near and dear to Tolkien in mm. what he believed about the world uh, and how he saw uh, people's interaction with the world. Yeah, so why don't we why don't we park it there a little bit? I know as we were trying to sketch out a little bit before you had mentioned something like that. So when you say that, like other than to me, the thing that's obvious that jumps out is that Tolkien's Tolkien's respect for nature and and like mm-hmm. kind of the agrarian world that's obviously here. Um, what else are you talking about when you say that that a lot of Tolkien's worldview is here? Yeah, some of the things I think that um, that we see right out of the gate is the sort of mystery magic or fairy of the old forest. And I know that Tolkien really loved, obviously loved historic ancient fantasy. Uh, it's what mm-hmm. 
really it's what propelled him to write this in his mind mythology of England. Like he, mm-hmm. he's, he's trying to make a fairy story for his own nation mm-hmm. uh, it is what he's just generally up to. And so that was something that was, um, that was very dear to him, you know, in his reading and his education. And so uh, that that's clearly in here. Um, and we can, you know, we can sense that by the interactions with the trees, with the river, mm-hmm. um, with just the air that's, <laughs> that's there. Right. Uh, and so, and so if we want to jump into that section a little more, um, I think we can kind of talk about that and then, and then maybe move on. Yeah, it's good. I think so, because it is pretty overview. I think this, the more you say it, it's an idea that popped in my head while you were saying that, because it's kind of an angle I hadn't considered, which again, it just shows that the beautiful depth of what's going on is this, this chapter to me really feels pretty Scandinavian. Like it, Mm -hmm. it, it feels like, you know, it's weird because the sun is going on outside, but it's kind of in, you know, the end of summer, like early autumn, you know, we're in Mm -hmm. late September here and you can see like, you know, he puts you in place with the fog and kind of the, the overcast and then the dark in the woods. It almost feels like black forest kind mm-hmm. of thing. And, and then like this idea, like he never says it, but it's almost this idea of like, you know, those kind of European and Scandinavian legends of like tree demons and mm. like water gods. And I mean, we don't, I don't think we have to guess that. We know that that's something that's on his mind because in the next chapter, but he, he really is, I, I know I commented to you, like one thing I did notice is I think this is among maybe the most fairy story chapters in the whole saga. Like it, it really is dripping with it down to the name of the river, which is the Withy Wendell, which mm-hmm. is, is really like a, a nod and just a, you know, really a, an on the nose name that kind of implies like whimsy and magic, you know, and, yeah. and almost sleepiness in a way like floating down the withy window like you can mm-hmm. you can picture leaves just on that slow you know kind of magical you know in the middle of the forest river and i think he toyed with that in the hobbit you know with the river going through murkwood mm-hmm. and i think it, it almost becomes more fully realized here yeah yeah and I, and i think too that that idea you know when in c.s lewis's conversion you know those those conversations tolkien tells Lewis that the story of the Bible is the one true myth, you mm-hmm. know? And so, and that's going to come from him engaging in, you know, mythical kind of fairy stories to say that, that there's, there's a point to them that there's, I think, I think kind of twofold that like, there's a lot to this world that we can't see and don't understand that are probably there. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, and in the Western mind, we've totally lost sight of because mm-hmm. we are so data fact driven if it's not if it's not an empirical fact then it's a bunch of hogwash you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and so yeah i i think that's a part of it and and so uh, that was something that i i kind of latched onto to you know be open to the the magic of the world that's created you know mm-hmm. that's so much bigger than we can fathom yeah i think i i think you're onto that like i think what so the hobbits even you know mary himself mary becomes the ringleader in this chapter right mm-hmm. he really he really just takes the bull by the horns he's he's leading him through he's the first yeah. one up he's ready to go and i think mary believes the tales of the shire the least but i think mm-hmm. almost in the background tolkien's saying you should have believed the tales <laughs> right like no mm-hmm. it, it seems 
crazy that these trees would be like trying to hit you with branches and walking around and stuff, but yeah. they are, they are, they don't, they don't like you. And it, mm-hmm. it is almost like this, you know, this, cause he, he even refers to fatty. I think like, it's not like what fatty's nursemaid told him growing yeah. up, right. but, but actually it is. Right. <laughs> and Tolkien, Tolkien is kind of using that like, Hey, there really are things that naturalism just can't explain like there really is supernatural like stuff that we don't know about that's going on so it's just too much for our perception really and and here it is and the old forest is a place it's it's really the first place where we're going to see it other than the talking fox yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. at the beginning right but here, here it is again the, and the fox is probably that's probably his last mention i, I like the fox I was saying, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you latched onto the fox <laughs> I, I love that fox <laughs> he's you know he's kind of like a the, he's kind of like a mystery box that nobody really it, it doesn't matter why he's there but yeah. the old forest does matter though and yeah. I think I think you really like that is a huge theme of this I think another thing that I'd like to bring up is mm. and I think this is one that that we we definitely both latched onto and that's the theme of dominion versus the wild yeah right and I I think you see you see immediately with the hobbits going into the old forest that they have left civilized lands and they've entered into the dangerous wild now and they start to feel it and their whole attitude is different which is pretty crazy because they've been chased around by agents of mordor right but but really they they just pretty quickly are just in despair in this forest as they're as they're walking around they 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 are you know under the spell of the the wild trees you know and they can't do anything it's weird because you don't get the sense in this case that their spirit is being crushed. Like there's like, they're physically being put under the weight of the forest. Mm-hmm. You know? Cause I don't see like, you don't see this bleak hopelessness that you would sense around the black riders. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you just get the sense of <laughs> the weight of just ancient power just yeah. sitting on your shoulders. Yeah, it's all around him. And I think I think Tolkien foreshadows that when they leave the house at Crick Hollow, because he, he says something that's very interesting about the fog. He says that the fog was reluctantly giving way in front of them, but that it was closing behind them. Mm-hmm. Like like and and it's a foreshadowing to what's about to happen is that they're about to be just engulfed, right? Like they're not gonna be able to see. There's a couple of times where they get up high and they can see out, and it's like, man. Yeah. What a, wow. It's almost like their mind clears, right? And then they go back in. Yeah. That was a, that was a really interesting part where they, they get, yeah, they get up on the hill and they can see kind of to the North and East. And it's, it said, it says that, um, even they could, they could catch a sight of the Barrow Downs and it was a relief, even though the Barrow Downs had just as sinister a reputation as the old forest. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. And uh, we're going to find out that those tales are true, too. Right. It, it, yeah. You know, interesting, too. I, I just thought of this when you said that. It, it also said that when they were up on one of those hills and they were looking north, that they can almost imagine that they saw like the hedge of the northern road. Hmm. Right. And so here we go with the road coming back. They hate being in the forest so much yeah. that they, they are like longing to get back on the road. Right. right. Which is <laughs> fraught with danger. <laughs> Right. Right. If they, it's kind of like fatty, if they understood the kind of danger that they were in, they wouldn't want to get on the road. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, just a quick remark on fatty. Cause as they go in, 
he says to Frodo, he goes, I hope you don't need rescuing before the end of the day. <laughs> and he absolutely does. <laughs> well, and it's like, who, who's going to rescue him? Uh, like, it, like Fatty's not going to. And, no. <laughs> and how are you even going to know? Yeah. yeah, it's not like they're coming back. But it turns out they did need rescuing before the day was over. So Fatty yeah. was a kind of a prophet, too. He was a bit of a prophet. <laughs> A yeah, so one, I, but one nonetheless. So, so I think it did. I think it did an okay job of explaining like the wildness going on here. I think I think there's probably a little bit more work to explain the idea of dominion. Um, well, before I get too much into that, I, you had something about like the fickleness of the trees. Yeah. I wanted to hit that because it, it, it's going to help me like okay make my point better. Yeah. So something that I observed is. So far in the story, when we've seen wisdom equated with age or ancient, right? We've who we know so far are Gandalf and Gildor. We've had reference to Elrond, and we know Elrond from The Hobbit. Um, and and so these are the wise people that we know. Uh, mm-hmm. And and so and even in the even in the Shire, the wise people we've seen are the Gaffer, Farmer Maggot. Um, mm-hmm. I think Bilbo. Uh, mm-hmm. And these, right? These are these are elder statesmen, and so I said. So there's something to to you know to aged wisdom that's cool. That's uh, that's you know I think that's uh, aware of situation and aren't you know aren't quick to anger, um, especially in the midst of their lessers. And so mm-hmm. uh, so something that happens is as the hobbits are uh, are singing this song. And they're basically singing about the the failing of the woods, right? In in some point in time, yeah. Let me read. Let me yeah, read that ahead. one. I, I love that quote. Yeah, it, it was my favorite quote of the chapter. So I, I went okay. ahead and wrote it down. It's yeah, a I I tagged it too. That's that's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Frodo was singing. He said, "O wanderers in the shadowed land, despair not, for though dark they stand, all woods there must be an end at last." And see the open sun go past, the setting sun, the rising sun, the day's end, or the day begun. For east or west, all woods must fail. Yeah. And then and he the, and then he gets cut off. Yeah, and on the words fail, a tree drops a giant limb at them <laughs> in the <laughs> right. path. And so it, was, I, I, it struck me because like these trees are extremely old. And and you know, in the sense of age like the the hobbits would be acorns in you know in their lineage and so it, it's it's it was really interesting to me that this basically this little rhyming song that these little creatures have come up with you know to to motivate them to move through is stirring enough for a large old tree to try and injure them mm. and yeah and so so something that that I don't know. It, it, so kind of, and I think where we're going to go is basically my note to the side is they need a shepherd. Right. Um, because the, 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 the trees are really like in, in a way a power lust, like they, they're kind of the opposite of what we've seen from Gandalf, you know, where Gandalf was offered the ring mm-hmm. and he says, no way, because I would be a dark Lord. We see mm-hmm. Gildor who, definitely knows the mission is definitely powerful enough to rule middle earth himself if he was to take it. Right. But there's no talk of that. And then we get these trees who are old, ancient, you know, they've seen all kinds of stuff. 
but ultimately they they are largely black-hearted and it's yeah. because what they've done which we'll we'll really see explicitly laid out in the next chapter what they've done is they have fallen under allegiance to old man willow who mm-hmm. is evil evil like so yeah. evil that you know the hobbits don't really want to know what his thoughts are you know that's yeah. what bombadil is going to tell them later and so what what they're doing what makes them upset is that frodo is saying in the song you know that the woods can't cover the whole earth like that's basically mm-hmm. what that song is like if you keep walking he's not yeah. saying like the forests are going to die he's saying right. that if you keep walking you're going to see the sun rise and set you know mm-hmm. because because the further like at some point the forest is going to fail mm-hmm. and you'll meaning that you're in the open lands and they can't stand that because these trees are almost rebelliously awake right and and we can see it because of the way they act they they do an unprovoked attack on the Shire, you know, in, in years past, they, they start crowding up next to the border of Buckland. Mm -hmm. And so what the hobbits, it's essentially an act of war, right? Like we're going to come in here. And so what the hobbits do is they, (laughs) they (laughs) cut a bunch of them down and then burn a huge swath and make a bonfire on top of a hill. And then they build this. That's right. And then they, Which, man, that's an interesting thing about hobbits. You know, like they, I think it's a, I can't remember what the quote is. It's something like, I think Gandalf says it where they're, you know, they seem soft, but they can be stern and, you know, Mm -hmm. as mean as a dragon when they're cornered, something like that. Maybe it's from the Hobbit, but you can see that like when they, when their land gets threatened and they don't really see any other choice, like they get after it. And then they build this huge hedge that, you know, that it's. It goes the haze. It goes all the way across the border of the Shire, and it's a really tall hedge. Mm-hmm. And what it's what it's meant to do is define a border. Yeah. And what really clued me in is that that hedge is described, and there's a locked door on it. Like yeah. you have to ask, why is this door locked? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's not that the hobbits are going to be coming in. Right. I think I think the door is locked more symbolic as a way to get in if they want to, because we're going to be able to send emissaries into here because we beat you back. Mm-hmm. You know, this is our border mm-hmm. and we're manning this border. If you start crowding this line again, you know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right? I think I think there's something about that. But on the other side of the forest where the hobbits leave after Bombadil saves them, Tolkien writes that, you know, that the lawn around Bombadil's house was was short grass like it had been mown. Mm-hmm. and yep. that there was a hedge cut on the road like that the trees were trimmed right. like a hedge so on one end the shire is stopping the warlike tendencies but on the other end it's one man who is a very special kind of person yeah who has exerted his dominion by cultivating the wild by not making war on it mm-hmm. but by being powerful over it and I think yep. there are a ton of themes in this thing that kind of go along this line of like dominion unrestrained versus yep. completely restrained, restrained dominion of Tom Bombadil. And, and there'll be a huge amount of that in the next chapter. He is a, you know, yeah. CR, we have to mention it, right? Yep. It, it's incumbent that, you know, CR Wiley wrote what I think is undoubtedly the best work on Tolkien outside of Tolkien's work. The, the book is called in the house of Tom Bombadil and it, it really is, for a Christian, it really is a must read. Yeah. I, it, it is beautiful. It's great. 
Um, yeah. And whether you read Lord of the Rings or not, right? <laughs> and it, it, it's just it's magn. And, and look, if you hadn't read Lord of the Rings, you have to read Lord of the Rings, and you're not listening to this anyway. So if you have a friend that hadn't read Lord of the Rings, tell them to read Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But but that book really helps to to clue us in. You know, he really like shined a focus on this kind of enigmatic character. Right. did a great job of it. And I think we benefit a lot from that because these chapters are really exciting because of his work there. And I would say it is. And I would say too, that, um, you know, and I know we talked about this for, for quite a while doing something like this. I, I don't know. I think for me too, Wiley's book sort of opened the door a little bit to like, no, Tolkien is doing stuff that's deeper than mm-hmm. this story. And we knew that. But, but it was kind of the impetus to go, let's do the work, you know? Right. <laughs> he did the work. Let's do the work. Right. And, you know, he's, he's got deals with publishers and, yeah. you know, he's an older man that has time to write. Like, I think this is the way we can do it. I don't, I don't know that our work will be as good a focus quality, but right. um, by the end of it, we're going to have much more quantity, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I hope that there is quality there because, because yeah. this task, what we've, what we're taking on, I think is a more expansive thing. That's definitely inspired by him. I do think that. I think there's a lot of that. So hats off to him. And if you hadn't read in the house of Tom Bombadil, the the book in the house of Tom Bombadil, read it by C.R. Wiley. It's really good. Um, So we're on Dominion. We're we're on how the trees are really wild, even though they're so old, Mm -hmm. right? They are extremely wild, ungoverned. And I think that's probably what you were thinking with Fickle is they they really don't have self government they right. they can't they can't restrain themselves they stoop themselves almost right. to a super low and mean level by trying to drop branches on little hobbits yeah walking and around was, and that was definitely my take is like what what is what is so offensive to this tree you know to to try and maim <laughs> you know <laughs> tiny little hobbits who are who are passers by and they they've and, and again they've they've shown no aggression in the forest at all no they're just the trying person, to get out <laughs> they're just trying to get out and so again i think there's this observation of of where wisdom lies and mm-hmm. and like you just and i think too even if you're in the woods or in the forest like you never you never think of the trees as the haughty creature of the forest mm you know, it's like there's, yep. when, when you're in the woods, there there are lots of things going on. The trees are not the ones that you think of as being, you know, boil tempered. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but they are they are the pillars of the forest, right? They they are what makes the forest the forest, and sure. and so, uh, in in some ways, they're they're definitional, and it's almost like if they're against you, then what chance do you have in there, <laughs> right? Because there's right. there's other stuff. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. a really scary situation. Yeah. Right. If there's no restraint from them, then there's no restraint at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 it is like how often foolishness, you know, because because we know this that trying to seek dominion outside of your proper bounds and outside of goodness, right? That 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 always leads to defeating your own self interest in the long run. And, and you mm-hmm. can see it here, like even in kind of a mean way, like a, like if they're, if we're just interested in protecting our borders from the Shire, because we remember what they did, right. That, that what would have been better here is to confuse these hobbits, like make them just wander around, make them hate this place. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, 
they get out after three days or four days. And what's going to happen when they go back to the Shire someday? Like they're going to tell, they're going to tell all the hobbits, uh, don't go in there. Yeah. (laughs) Like don't go in there unless you want to be lucky to ever get out again. Like that place is terrifying. Right. Yeah. But, but they, they go as evil often does, you know, the unrestrained malice of old man Willow takes it Mm -hmm. too far. And because there's another thing going on here in this chapter, I think it's fate and destiny, right? That we've talked about that before, but it says it somewhere that the forest has a will that some path designed beforehand was leading the hobbits exactly the opposite of where they wanted to go. They wanted to go Mm -hmm. through the North and out to the road. And the, so the forest kept taking them South and East down to the the heart of where Withy Wendell is Right. right where old man Willow is. And there's kind of a destiny here that these, these paths are going to cross with Bombadil. And the way it's going to happen is that Bombadil is in the forest, presumably for the last time collecting water lilies for his, for his wife. Mm -hmm. And so he's on the path maybe for the last time for months and he comes across and he, he sees the mischief. And I think it's, it's not surprising that he's wandering, that he's got these paths that he's cultivated all around old man Willow because yeah. Bombadil knows all too well who really needs to be governed in the old right. forest. Right. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's a good time to point out a, a theme that we touched on really early and that we're going to touch on a lot is, is that the domination aspect like of the mm-hmm. good and evil parts, like dominion is a good thing. Yeah. it, when when evil or when dominion goes awry it goes towards domination or i think or subversion of what is good you know and so and that's what we're seeing with old man willow right and i there's so let me throw this one in too i i didn't know where it was going to come in and it comes in supernaturally right here like not not like supernaturally real really <laughs> Extremely it, naturally, naturally. <laughs> yes, very much naturally here. <laughs> it comes in. It's it's interesting how the hobbits start the chapter, and until Bombadil comes on the scene, they, well, you would describe them as being suffocated, would you not? Yeah. Suffocated by fog, suffocated almost by the inky darkness of the, the morning, right? And then mm-hmm. suffocated by trees, and really more than the trees, the will of the forest, Right. And, and then the enmity of old man Willow. And so a person who is in despair, a person who is not trusting the mission, not on the task, not being optimistic, understanding that, you know, in this story, it's destiny, but what we know it is, is that God has appointed the times and seasons for all man. So Mm -hmm. the, the world, I think Tolkien's getting at here is that the hobbits are in suffocation. So they are susceptible to being smothered under by the forest. Whereas who is the one that's in dominion over the forest? He comes onto the scene very intentionally. A lot of people don't understand this. Why is Bombadil with these ridiculous yellow boots on walking with a cherry red, uh, an apple red face Mm -hmm. running around singing like a merry man, like dancing and singing nonsense on the road. Well, I think, I think the obvious answer in this chapter is that Tom Bombadil understands exactly who he is, self-government, trusts his creator, knows he has a purpose, he is secure in that purpose, and so he is free. The, mm-hmm. the trees can work 
no none of their magic on him because he is fully faithful to his task. Nothing can take him off his task at all. And I think it's a beautiful picture of how Christians who have been created by God, who have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't, the Bible tells us often, we don't have anything to fear. Mm-hmm. And too often we fear, right? But yeah. and, that, and there are all kinds of forces that want to dominate people, and there always will be. Yep. But Christians don't have anything to fear from that because we have a faithful task to do, and that task is being propelled by someone else. And I think I think Bombadil is really clear about is the is the eldest one, right? He's yeah. old, old. If the old forest is old, yeah. Tom Bombadil is by measures and degrees older than that. He right. he saw all those trees before grow up from saplings. Mm-hmm. You know, he is he's seen lots and lots and lots of centuries, and he's still totally secure in his in his mission and in his bounds. I think it's a, a interesting, beautiful thing that makes sense of something that really confuses people. Yeah, my kids love Bombadil because they love right. the rhymes. Yeah, yeah, and he's right. He's jovial and he's goofy, and yeah, like there's 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 you know, and there's a magic to him. It, mm-hmm. You know, like he he's magical in some way, <laughs> but there there's there's a magic inherent to him, and I think I think probably a lot of that does come from the freedom he has in. Uh, you know, in his in his dominion, in his place, and in his task. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's very Scandinavian too. I think he he really just he seems like he could have jumped out of like Hansel and Gretel in a way. Mm-hmm. Like you know, he down to the description of his beard and his hat and his huge boots. You know, and the way yeah. he's he's almost nursery rhyming. You know, mm-hmm. as he's running around, right? And he he is a person who is is just totally unafraid of mm-hmm. this really this huge amount of evil that's going on in the heart of this forest yeah. that he has to manage and it's yeah. his task and he's not whining about it no nope. but he's making paths and when the trees mess up his paths he cuts up bundles of brush and ties them up and lays them at the side of the path and he lays stones down and he just keeps rebuilding yeah. he's really an amazing character yeah he is and then i think yeah there, there's a lot and we'll I know we'll deal with him a lot in the next chapter yeah I'm trying not to go too far with him yeah and yeah and, and so I think the I think probably for me the last thing I want to say about Bombadil and you talked about right how he's walking around nursery rhyming because in the moment you're going who who is he singing to you know, <laughs> right. like why is he doing this and and I think there's you know something that definitely if you've read the Silmarillion to touch on, but there, there's something inherently right about music, mm. and there's there's something really powerful about it, and uh, and what it does. Even even his inane music, you know, there there's something just wholesome and good about it from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those would be that you know, if the hobbits have been smothered, I think wholesome, you know, good, uh, just you know, joyful. Those are the Mm -hmm. thankful. Those are the things that describe Bombadil. And I I think you're right. I think Tolkien, man, there's just so many threads that he weaves, like in his creation story in the Silmarillion, it, Mm -hmm. his story is that the world was created by music from Iluvatar, Mm -hmm. who, who is the God and that he invites, you know, his kind of archangels to sing along with him in a harmony, you know, and, and it's a beautiful thing. And I think, Somewhere, somewhere hidden in that is the idea that Bombadil remembers the music. 
because Bombadil is yeah. incredibly old, among the first created things. And so yeah. Bombadil is almost a homage to to his maker in the singing, yeah. but also understanding that he's he's the he's the king and and over and the governor over a very small area. Mm-hmm. And he's content to be there. And so I think in some ways, like his song is small and earthy and fun and mm-hmm. easy to understand because he is like, he is the king over kind of a whimsical old magical place. And so his music is very fitting. It's not like the high court songs of the elves or mm-hmm. the, or the deep, you know, to the earth songs of the dwarves that are sung with harps and bass and not like men who are singing about loss and, war you know yeah. he his song is about magic yeah in a way and it's or, the most tolkien thing i can imagine yeah or even the hobbits who kind of sing about young silly things right yeah Bath songs, bar songs walk, walking songs bar songs you know yeah uh, a young people that don't have a lot of cares in the world mm-hmm. yeah know, i mean they the other, all the they other races yeah. have deep cares <laughs> that's right that's right lots of songs of evil and and not not um inconspicuously absent is that the agents of evil never sing in the story. We get a little bit of that in the Hobbit, right? That there's some, there's some orc marching songs. Yeah. And, and I think there is one in Mordor, but Mm -hmm. Sauron and the, and the wisdom, they don't have songs and the orcs are always singing about basically their oppression. Yeah. You know, and about filling their bellies because they are base creatures really interesting a turn i didn't really see this one taken but i i like that yeah. i like that it's really good <laughs> yeah well it, was, it just really struck me you know actually this afternoon i was doing like a last scan through and he's you know he's singing as he's coming over the hill and mm-hmm. you know frodo and sam are running around the tree screaming help to no one you know and then <laughs> right and here and here comes bombadil singing to no one and it, i don't know it it, it just kind of hit me because because of their yelling, I think it clued me into like, who are they trying to yell for? Like just because of the panic, like they don't, mm-hmm. they're not, w- their wits are not about them because they're just terrified and suffocated. Mm. That's good. I So it's probably, I think those are like, it, those are the big things, the mm-hmm. kind of hidden in there a little bit themes. They, they don't smack you in the face. They're mm-hmm. a little on the surface surface. I think I did want to examine the hobbits a little bit and how they how they break out in action here, especially mm-hmm. with what's going on with Old Man Willow, because I okay. I think there is some interesting stuff. So setting the story up right as they're walking through and they get closer to the Withy Windle, they start hearing almost imperceptibly a song, right? That's kind mm-hmm. of a lullaby, and they start and it gets really ethereal, you know the the writing gets really ethereal. There's, it's almost like time slows down. He talks about the slow brown river, you know, mm-hmm. slowly flowing. He talks about tons of yellow willow leaves, just kind of like fluttering through the air. Yeah, and they're all thinking about sleep. You know, yeah. I've got to just go to sleep. And then they they start to hear the singing more prominently. Yeah. And as they're as they're going, you know, Pippin and Mary decide, well, we're going to go lay down against this tree where it's cool because there's flies everywhere. They're like, we're going to get away from these flies. Frodo's Frodo starts to think that 
that's not right. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's, there's something going on here. So, so Frodo wants to go splash his face in the water, presumably to wake up. And then that's when it all goes down, right? Cause Frodo kind of, he's trying to splash his face in the water and he kind of like falls asleep while he's on a root and the root, he swears the root twists and throws him in. Yeah. Sam helps pull him out. And then it just goes crazy because the, the tree is swallowed up you know, Mary and Pippin and these cracks in it. Yeah. So I think you get division of labor here. I, I probably start with Mary and Pippin. We've, yeah. we've talked about them before. They, I think, I think they're underappreciated characters. Why, why do you think it is that even though they're Frodo's best friends, that they often find themselves like they're together and then yeah. it's Frodo and Sam. And this is really one of the first places it happens. And I think it happens intentionally. Why, what is it? What is it going on? I have my thoughts about Frodo specifically. Do you have, do you have thoughts about why this goes down with the hobbits the way it does? I think it's something I'm trying to pay attention to is like, so to back up a little, like Mary, and we talked about Mary in the last chapter um, mm-hmm. as you know, uh, I think someone who's come into his own, as, you know, as an adult, he's young in adulthood, but like he, he leads him through the forest. Like, and he, he takes the ribbing, right. And like, and he holds his ground. They, they question his decision-making, but he sticks to what he thinks is right. And he, you know, and he does it. And so I think there's something, um, really, uh, I think really admirable about, about Mary and that. And we saw some of that in the last chapter too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know with, with them, like Mary and Pippin are the first to, to fall to the, mm-hmm. to old man Willow. And, and I think it's, I, what I'm kind of paying attention to is just the, the youth there is that it's when it's, um, when things are starting to get harder, you know, people who have seen more te- tend to be more resilient to the difficulty it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's funny. And <laughs> this is, you know, I have a, a five-year-old boy and we were just having this conversation tonight because we were reading the Hobbit and he's, you know, he's looping out and kind of not paying attention and said, okay, we're going to stop tonight. We're not going to read anymore. I said, dad, why can't we just watch the movie? I said, because, <laughs> because you're taking the easy way out. Like you mm-hmm. need to, you need to struggle through the story and you need to put the images in your own head before someone puts them there for you. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's something just, you know, and he, he's five like that. <laughs> that's right. We're not slamming the five-year-old, the, the, the movies right. were not an option for us as yeah. five-year-olds. Right. And so, but so, so kind of the idea is like taking the nap is, is succumbing to the easy pressure of the moment. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's a theme. I think it's particularly a theme with Pippin. Um, mm-hmm. and so I kind of want to watch more so with Mary. I think the pairing stuff to like the Frodo Sam pairing is trying to develop the friendship outside, like beyond the social status. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think is what Tolkien is up to. Yeah. I like that. I think, I think you're right on about Pippin and Mary's kind of impetuosity where they, they are a little bit more foolhardy. Um, Mm -hmm. a a little bit more, uh, kind of we've, we've seen it with Pippin a lot, like really clued into his desires. You know, he's worried about when we're going to eat, 
He's mm-hmm. he's worried about, you know, when we're going to wake up, like that kind of stuff. I think Mary less so, but in this yeah. case, you know, they do fall. I think I think there's another thing that Tolkien almost would like it's almost just like a faint little glimmer that that Tolkien is starting to establish for us that Frodo is quite resilient to the force of magic and external will, you know, will bending stuff mm-hmm. because he's going to, he's going to be put in situations that would break men immediately, yeah. you know, with very powerful forces. And I think this is, and, and it, you know, I don't think old man will is a slouch. I, I think, you know, he says things to Marion Pippin whenever they get sealed up in his, in the cracks inside his trunk, he starts saying stuff to them that just absolutely terrifies them. Mm-hmm. You know, he is, he's evil and rotten. Yeah. But I, I think Frodo, it's starting to show a little bit of that. It's starting to show that Frodo, Frodo has a, a different kind of wisdom and maybe a different kind of resilience a little bit more. He's, he's been tutored by Bilbo, you know, and, mm-hmm. and Bilbo is, Bilbo's experienced the magic of the elves and, you know, the way dwarves are and all, all this sort of thing. And so yeah. I think, I think there's a little bit of that. And then I think Sam, Sam, it, this is really one of the first chances where Sam just comes across it. Sam's eyes are on Frodo. Mm-hmm. Right. And and this is the dynamic is that Frodo is about getting this task done. And Sam is about making sure Frodo gets the task done. Sam doesn't care about anything else. Right. You know, nothing right. else. It's right. he he's incredible. He really yeah. is. And, and I think Tolkien is never ham fisted about it. The movies at times are. Yeah. I, I think Tolkien never is. Sam just is always there. He's always watching. It's no, it should not be a surprise that when Tolkien falls in, or that when Frodo falls into the river, the Sam is right there watching it. I mean, he mm-hmm. came back. He's not going to leave Frodo. You know, we'll, we'll see. He's never going to leave Frodo. Yeah. And I think, I think there's two things there that kind of popped in my mind. The first is his, his, we saw his loyalty to the Baggins, right? Right out of the gate in the conversation with, Ted Sandy man he he won't budge on besmirching the Baggins name right he would budge on the other like tales of uh-huh. uh, that he got burned on yep uh, <laughs> he, he needs to work on his rhetoric <laughs> he needs to work on his rhetoric and, but he, you know so he's loyal in that sense I, I think the other thing too is that he's been told by two extremely wise people to go with Frodo right to be with Frodo. And, and so whether like, whether he's thinking about that or not, I think like that's kind of buried deep into his mm-hmm. core. I think he has the personality, right? He's, he's loyal. Like that personality trait is shown. The wisdom that we see in Samwise is to obey the loyalty. Mm-hmm. Like to its yeah. fullest extent. Yeah. He is, he is really the best kind of friend that you'd ask mm-hmm. for. He, yeah. he would never do anything to betray. He, yeah. he really is beautiful in that way. It, yeah. it makes you wonder sometimes, you know, I'm sure Tolkien valued relationships like that. Cause the, and they are very rare, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure him and Lewis were that way that there was, there was a real connection, not with just shared interests, but with worldview and with, mm-hmm you know, experience and, and that sort of thing that there was a lot of loyalty and they could, they could tell each other the truth. You know, there, there was, there was not hidden motives and things like that. You know, I think, I think Tolkien famously <laughs> told Lewis that Narnia sucked. Right. You know, what I, mean? <laughs> yeah. I don't know how the professor could be so wrong about that, but <laughs> no, I don't either. 
but I mean, look how how hard would that be to tell your friend like that is a brotherhood, and I think that's yeah. where that's where Sam gets, and I, I think that Frodo Frodo will start to really appreciate that, and this mm-hmm. this is a, a first step. This stuff starts to not go unnoticed as time goes on. Yeah, yeah. I think my last little thought on that is, you know, when we talk about mission too, is like Frodo's mission is to carry the ring and mm-hmm. and Sam like Sam doesn't get caught up in Frodo's mission because Sam's mission is to assist Frodo. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he he never gets bogged down with the mission of others like with Frodo's part in it. It's he's just there to do his mission, which I that's right. love. Like and that's like a pure character you know, and we see that from Gandalf too, you know, is that (laughs) like these guys, you know, uh, that's the virtue that the good guys have. Mm. Well, I I don't, I don't think I have anything else. So I'll go ahead and do the thought to Rome with, and Mm -hmm. I'll go first. I I think it's a, it's a pretty decent one. I see, I see a couple of responses here. The thought to Rome with is this, there is going to be a temptation for people who, see the danger of the world who see you know the suffocating almost power it seems like the world has at times like the hobbits did in the old forest and i think the temptation is going to be to do what the hobbits did you know the shire which was Mm -hmm. to which is to fence out the world become your own little thing because the shire is definitely good people right good the hobbits are good but time and fate and the lord is not going to allow you to just fence out forever. And so Frodo's pulled out of this because you can't shut out the world forever. That's going to be a theme throughout the story that we see. I think we see in contrast to them, how we should act as men who are creating God's image is the way Bombadil acts where Mm -hmm. what Bombadil does is he has established his garden with the mown grass and the hedges and his house with the lights on a comfortable place. But what he's doing is he keeps going into the forest and cutting trails and learning the songs that govern, you know, the, the trees with the black hearts. Right. And, and we'll see that extended as the next few chapters go on. I think it's a, the thoughts to Rome with is don't shut the world out. We have all authority to go and make disciples. And that's what we have to do as people who yeah. follow the Lord. Yeah. Sorry to get preachy, but I think it's, I yeah. think it's there in this chapter. I think so too. And I think just to, really to just latch on to your thought to roam with um, because I didn't have one that good. So, (laughs) you know, so, you know, I think to tie on to the preachy thing, like for us is to learn the song, like learn the song of our spouses and learn the song of our Mm. kids and learn the songs of our vocations and sing those songs loudly and joyfully, you know, and because like that, that's the dominion that we have. Hmm. I like that thought to roll with. I think yeah. I think they they went really well. So uh, so as we sign off here, roam with those thoughts, and yeah. hopefully you read the old forest and join us again next time as we go into the uh, house of Tom Bombadil. Until then, take care of yourself and don't shut out the world. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Don't sing about the end of the forest. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs>